Today's reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, which can be found on pages 1188 in the Church Bibles. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. After lunch, I believe many of you will be going out into the parish to invite people to our Christmas services. It's cold, but I'm sure that won't deter you because you've got good news to spread. And this morning, I want to remind us what that good news is. But where do I begin? Where would you begin with the good news? Well, let me tell you a story. It's a good story. In fact, it's the best story ever told. And what's more, it's true. Once upon a time in a land far, far away, there lived a young couple who were engaged to be married. In those days, marriage was highly respected and there was no moving in together before the happy day. Their names were Mary and Joseph. And something was about to happen to them that was to change their lives forever. And it would change the lives of everyone who's ever lived before that time and ever after. And this is how it happened. One day while Mary was going about her everyday chores, an angel sent by God appeared to her. And this is what he said. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you, will, you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now Mary, who was a godly woman, believed what the angel said. But she had to convince Joseph that this is what God wanted for their marriage. He was also a godly man, but he thought the right thing to do 
was for Mary to do things quietly, to quietly break off the engagement and let Mary have the child away from public disgrace. But God knew it would be hard for Joseph. He must have had sleepless nights. But when he did finally get to sleep, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, in case you're looking down at today's reading and thinking that maybe you've got the wrong sermon notes, then let me ask you this question. What is the good news of Jesus? What do we celebrate at Christmas? How do we tell somebody the gospel story? Where do you start and where do you end? Have you ever thought about that question, what is the gospel? Trouble is, from a young age, we are taught that life is all about being the best person you can be. Working hard, making something of yourself, having a good set of values, respect, kindness, doing unto others what you would have them do to you, not being rude or picking fights or taking things that don't belong to you. The rules that if you follow you will not be cancelled by society. Be good. But you don't have to be that good. Just fit in with what everybody else thinks is okay. So when we try to tell people the good news of Jesus, most people think it's just another way of saying, live your best life. Be respectful. Be nice. Be good. Be loving. Isn't that what Jesus taught on his Sermon on the Mount? And we can do without having to be religious, thank you very much. We can do that perfectly well on our own. And if that's what you think life is all about, then I've got good news for you. Jesus is prepared to forgive you. And in your most thoughtful moments, you know there are things in your life that do need forgiving. But you know, that's not the way that our cancel culture operates. Often it's everything but forgiving. Step on someone's toes, use the wrong words, or express an opinion that is deemed unacceptable, and you're in trouble. Excluded, unfriended, unloved, cancelled. You may have to resign from your job in disgrace. Well, the good news of Jesus is much better than that. But what is it then? How do you explain the good news of Jesus? Our media is not that great on good news, is it? It seems to like the opposite. But they are delighted if they can find a hero who dived in to save a drowning child. Or maybe even better, somebody with a terminal disease who runs marathons in order to earn money for charity. See, that's the gospel according to our society's creed, to be the best person that you can be. But it's not the Christian gospel. 
Well, today was going to be a communion service. Hopefully next week we will have the communion service. A time to remember that Jesus took our sins upon himself when he died for us. It's part part of the greatest story that has ever been told. We remember what Jesus went through to save us from our sins. Don't think that's me. That's why we celebrate communion as often as we do. That's why we say the creeds that we say every week in our services to remind us why Jesus came to save us from our sins. But do you see that the communion service on its own is not the whole story? In order for us to understand the problem that Paul was addressing in his letter to the Thessalonian church that we just had read to us, we need to know the gospel that Paul taught. It wasn't a list of rules and regulations to help you live your best life, but a story, a story of how God invites us to join his family. It is God's great story, and we have it in 66 books of the Bible. In book one, Genesis, we hear where the story starts. In the beginning, God. And for many people, they don't start there. And I've mentioned what's at the centre of the story, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can't leave that bit out. But where does the story end? The final book of the Bible, Revelation, ends with these words. Revelation 22, verse 20. Yes, I am coming soon. The words of Jesus. And the response is given, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The last sentence of the Bible is a kind of summary of the story. The grace, the undeserved mercy and extravagant love of the Lord of all, the Lord Jesus, is to be with his people, God's people, the followers of Jesus. And the story ends on that happy note. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The last words in the Bible. You see, the story didn't end at the cross. It didn't end at Jesus rising from the dead. It didn't end with Jesus ascending into the clouds in the sky. It didn't end with the Holy Spirit being poured out on the people at Pentecost. In fact, the story hasn't ended yet. We're still in the story. The gospel is a living story and we're all part of it. And if we've trusted Jesus with our lives, then here's the good news for followers of Jesus today. The best is yet to come. Jesus often spoke about his return. Matthew 24, 44 says this. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Or John 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. 
And as Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, two angels told them about his return, told the apostles. Acts 1, verses 10 and 11. The apostles were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, it seems strange to me that people today don't seem to talk about the second coming of Jesus. Not very much anyway. When I was a teenager, it was a subject of Christian pop songs. Young people would go around wearing t-shirts with Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Did you have one of those? Do you see those today? I wonder what's changed. Maybe we become more secular. That's what the census tells us this week. We don't like to think about life after death. We don't want to think about what happens when you die. So many in the Western church have lost their grasp of the good news. They're so busy trying to live their best lives today that they've forgotten about tomorrow. The glorious future awaiting us. The more we're caught up with enjoying the good things of this life, the more we might neglect genuine Christian fellowship and a personal relationship with the Lord and the less we'll long for his return. On the other hand, those who are struggling with persecution in other countries, those who are too aware of the fragility of our bodies, and those whose daily walk with Jesus is more vital and deep, then they are ready for Jesus to return. They're longing for it. Well, the church in Thessalonica were eager to meet their Lord. These believers knew the full gospel story. They knew where it started and they knew what happens next. They were expecting Jesus to return at any moment. They knew the good news that God had come down to earth in the person of Jesus. Born to Mary in Bethlehem. That he had dealt with their biggest problem, the problem of sin. He died on a cross on a hill outside Jerusalem and had risen from the dead to conquer death. And then he'd gone back to the Father in heaven as the church was launched by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were part of that growing church. And they knew that wasn't where their story ended. Jesus was coming back. And they were all eager to meet him face to face to thank him for saving them, to see his nail-pierced hands and to see his warm greeting and smile. But Jesus hadn't returned before some of their congregation had died and they were worried that those loved ones were going to miss out on the greatest Christian celebration the world has ever seen. So Paul comforts them with his teachings on what happens when believers die. So finally I've got there, I've got to our passage now. 
you can, if you've got it in front of you, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Well, Paul is talking about Christians who have died. But he uses the term fallen asleep to show that death for Christians is a perfectly normal thing. Just as you go to sleep every night and wake up the next day ready for action, or maybe eventually you're ready for action, <laughs> so too those of us who have already died, or those who have already died, not us, but those who have already died, will be ready for action when Jesus returns. And he highlights the difference between a funeral for someone who died in Christ and the rest of men. See, we don't grieve like the rest of men because we have this great Christian hope. The certainty of life with Jesus on this earth when he returns. Have you been to many funerals? If you have, you will have noticed there's a huge difference between the sense of loss where a family don't know what will happen to their loved one who's died and the certain hope that Christians have that death is the way that we get to meet Jesus. Grief is natural for the sense of loss for the family and friends of the one who's died. But when you know someone has died in Christ, you know that they're better off than those who are left behind. When Paul talks about Jesus' death, he doesn't say that he fell asleep. The difference between Jesus' experience and the believer's experience is that Jesus actually endured separation from God for the world's sins. But because of his real death, Christians will not experience that separation. Instead, it'll be just like falling asleep and waking with the Lord. So Paul encourages the Thessalonians that those who have died are already in a better place than them. And that's not all. Paul's heard something from the Lord himself. And we don't know when or where this happened because it's not recorded anywhere else in the Bible. Maybe it was a word that Paul heard directly from Jesus or perhaps Jesus had told one of the disciples and Paul had been, it had been passed on to him. But Paul tells the church in Thessalonica that this is what Jesus said. There's a double benefit to dying before the second coming happens. Not only will you be with the Lord in heaven, but you'll get a front seat when he returns to earth. Verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, 
we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Here's the news. When Jesus returns, he will bring along with him all those who have already been enjoying his presence in heaven. They get the best seats. The rest of us will have to catch up with the proceedings as we join in the loud celebration. Now, if you want to know more about what will happen when Jesus returns to earth, then do look into all the Bible passages that speak about the day that Jesus returns, often spoken about as the day of the Lord. But in case you don't already know, I have to warn you that you won't find out all the answers to your questions. But you will find out many things that I haven't got time to go into this morning. See, we couldn't probably comprehend the complexities and the splendor of the whole thing. So we're not told everything that we might be curious about. Like how we get to join in that celebration. But some things we can work out. Unlike the first coming of Jesus, which was announced to one young woman, Mary, gently and even more gently to Joseph in his sleep. This will be loud. All the world will know about this one. But can I say, if you're finding it hard to picture the event, then notice that in verse 18, Paul tells the Thessalonians, this news is written as an encouragement. They don't have to worry about those who've died in Christ, that they'll miss out. They'll have the best seats. And the, for all the followers of Jesus who are still alive will meet him on that day and will remain with him forever. So who would you rather be? A Christian who has died and comes back with Jesus on the clouds? Or a Christian who's caught up from earth to join them in the sky. Maybe it all seems too much to think about. The celebration will be the start of our never-ending life under Jesus' rule. And you can be sure of one thing, it won't be boring. Any way that you read the book of Revelation, you will find that the future is going to be thrilling, full of wonderful things that will demonstrate that Jesus is the righteous judge of the world. And it'll be a totally secure future for believers in Christ. So have you got your story clear when you're telling people about the life that they can know with Jesus, the Saviour, Prophet, Priest and King? Do you talk about what it'll be like to be with Jesus for all eternity? The death and resurrection of Jesus is written about something like 300 times in the Bible. So it's clearly the central truth of the good news story. We can't leave that bit out. But how many times would you estimate that the Bible mentions the second coming? The answer might surprise you. It's about 300 times. So when we tell people the good news story, let's not leave out the parts that we find hard to comprehend. When the Bible, and in particular the words of Jesus himself, teach us what to expect in the future. 
we might choose to start our Bible story in Genesis with, in the beginning, God. And you surely wouldn't want to leave out the Mary and Joseph bit, although Mark did in his Gospel account. You will, of course, speak about a cross on a hill where the Saviour of the world deals once and for all with the problem of sin and rebellion. But don't forget that the story doesn't end when we die, or as Paul puts it, when we fall asleep. There's a great celebration coming when Jesus returns to this earth, and the dead in Christ will be there with Jesus before those of us still alive on earth get our resurrection bodies and get to join them. But if you find the whole idea is too difficult to get your head around, I don't think, Jesus, I don't think Paul intended to scare believers. He just wants the church to know something about the next great event in history. There are scary things ahead for the world. And it's not all about climate change or global thermal nuclear destruction. Some of the things that we need to think about are mentioned in the passage that we'll look at next week. But remember, there is no fear in this future for all who have put their trust in Jesus. Verse 17. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is good news. This is great news for all who know Jesus as their Saviour and Lord, because whatever else happens, you are safe in the hands of the one who will judge the world with perfect justice after he returns with all those who have fallen asleep in him. Jesus says, yes, I'm coming soon. And the Lord's people respond, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you've done in our lives so far. We know there'll be many things in the future that maybe we're not quite ready for yet. Please help us to trust you for each new day, each precious new day that we wake up. And grant to us, please, that we will be ready for you when that great day comes when you return to earth. You tell us that, yes, I am coming soon. And Lord, we want to be able to respond to you. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Please help us with this because we find some of this difficult. Please change us, Lord, to expect you to come. Amen.